0: All right, we are back for yet another episode of Movies. We're going to be talking about the first decade, or roughly first decade, of George Romero's career, uh, beginning with Night of the Living Dead and closing out at *Night Riders, the 1981 comedy-drama starring Ed Harris about uh, members of a renaissance fair that lived together. Cute little community. Um... So now I'm going to be the only one on video? Yep. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Back with us is Don Jolly. How are you doing today?
1: I, I am doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I'm very excited to talk about uh, George Romero, one of my favorite filmmakers.
0: Yeah, it seemed, we, you know, we kind of went in that direction last time as we were talking about, uh, you know, Japanese monster movies kind of naturally uh, guided into Night of the Living Dead zombie territory. And there is so much ground to cover as far as George Romero goes. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to start with Night of the Living Dead. We're going to get into everything else uh, gradually. But uh, I have to say, I actually revisited some of his newer movies before uh, digging into the 70s catalog of film. Like uh, The first one that I I rewatched was Land of the Dead, which we're not really going to talk about uh, this evening. But that was one I remember watching when it came out and it didn't really connect with me, maybe because you know, I, was, I think I was probably like 14, 15 years old at the time, and I was really big on the Zack Snyder, Dawn of the Dead remake, and uh, 28 Days Later, like, the faster zombies were more in. Uh, so I, that, for whatever reason, that didn't quite hold my patience upon its release, but I revisited it maybe about a week and a half ago, and it was so much better than I remembered, And I feel like enough time has passed with that movie as well, where it starts to feel more like an authentic member of that uh, trilogy of films from night to day, whereas maybe it didn't exactly when it came out. What do you guys think of that movie, Land of the
1: Dead? Um, I mean, I totally agree with you. I, I think that Land of the Dead only suffers by comparison with, you know, Night, Dawn, Day, which is probably the best trilogy of horror movies that at least has come out of america i mean it's 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 a a series of like three absolute classics and each one is like distinct from the others you know so like land of the dead i think suffers a little bit by having kind of that early 2000s 70s revival grindhouse quality to it um but at the same time i think that like the social commentary stuff that you have in there where like the right now we're recording during the COVID-19 quarantine, like the rich are living essentially uninterrupted lives of leisure and pleasure. Um, while the poor are, you know, forced to go out into a virological wasteland in order to scavenge, uh, the supplies that they need to live. Uh, I think that that was a pretty good metaphor. I think Dennis Hopper is great at it. I think jog leg was almost really good. Um, you know, Asia Argento, whatever. Uh, But I I think that uh, Land of the Dead, I don't think it's the best of the trilogy, but I think it definitely belongs in the trilogy. I do not feel that way about like, you know, uh, Diary of the Dead or, you know, the the found footage movies that he did after that or, you know, Land of the Dead is sort of the last hurrah in in my opinion. I, I, I do think it's time for a reappraisal of that film.
0: Hans, have you seen the later George Romero zombie films, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, Survival of the Dead? I remember that. Is Diary the found footage one? It is, even though it's shot as if you would shoot any other movie with a budget. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: the only one that I kind of remember, and it's mostly because of that. Uh, They didn't really leave much of an impression on me for me to even tell you who's in it or what the plot's in it. I just remember the gimmick of it supposed to be that uh, but nothing about the movie at all I I agree with uh, what Don was saying about the Land of the Dead that that's the last Romero movie that I actually enjoyed it I can still think or remember without you know re-watching it Uh, but yeah I I don't remember them at all so, so I guess that's how much I think about those two.
1: Oh I remember them but I remember them for like how lousy they are and I mean you know it's is it Survival of the Dead, where they're on the island with the with the the feuding uh, families? Is yeah, that
0: survival. I have yet to see that one, but I watched the trailer not long after checking out Land of the Dead. I felt like going back and rewatching all of the the Dead films. I, I, again, I still have yet to watch it, but the trailer didn't didn't seem as bad as at least. Uh, what i remember from diary
1: it's not day, which... it, it's not as bad as diary um i don't think it's up there with land i just like it feels like towards the end of his career like because there was that zombie revival that was you know the, because of the the Zack snyder remake of, of of dawn of the dead which i you know i, I don't want to step on any toes but i hate that movie uh cool. 28 days later which i think is also like you know It is not to my taste, but, you know, it's it's 28 Days Later is like a legitimate flick. Like Danny Boyle was actually doing something with that, you know, but Mm -hmm. uh, because it was like this zombie thing and the Resident Evil movies were making money. He was actually supposed to do the first one of those, but it, it didn't work out. George Romero sort of ended his career pigeonholed as like a zombie director, which I don't think is fair. You know, I think he created the modern zombie genre, but he did a lot of other things too, especially in the field of, of horror, horror films. Um, so hopefully we'll get to talk about some of that. Like I'm, I'm really anxious to talk about Martin, uh, for instance.
2: I, I want to hear what you have to say about the Dawn of the Dead remake. Oh, uh, I, I would like to hear this
0: as well.
1: Okay. So yeah, I mean, Dawn of the Dead is an important movie to me and I'll admit that the Dawn of the Dead remake is like, you know, it's, Maybe it's well made, and I'm just not in a in a spot where I could see it because I'm so attached to the original. Like the thing that bothers me is, and I think that this is a constant pattern when you have like big Hollywood remakes of sort of like films that were made outside of the Hollywood system. Maybe uh, whether we're talking about like the last episode we were talking about uh, Godzilla movies being made in the United States, where they're sort of like created and they're they're sort of shaped into the antithesis of the political message of the the right. earlier Japanese films, like. Dawn of the Dead, like if you ever have you ever watched the original trailer for the 78 Dawn of the Dead? I have not. Okay, so they literally say in the trailer, and I don't know if this is an exact quote, but it's something like this: uh, a society gone mad, and it's showing all the people grabbing rings off of the the uh zombie woman at the end. Like they put the uh they show shots of the mall, they talk about you know, sort of the perils of consumerism, even in the trailer, like the social commentary was not like this hidden thing in the original Dawn of the Dead, right? Like the fact that they're in a mall, that they're in this shopping complex and that they're living this illusion of stability while the world goes to shit was like the thing that sold the movie. Like the theme was super important. And it's like, you know, it's not a a particularly subtle film in terms of like, imparting that theme but to me the the theme of the critique of consumer culture that is like so front and center even in the advertising of dawn of the dead and certainly in the film itself like the social criticism is central to the movie much more so than the gore and the zombies and the machetes and all of the like fun 70s grindhouse stuff right and i think this is true of land of the dead as well where it's like all of these films like the social commentary is front and fucking center. And when they did the remake, there's no social commentary in that film. They build a bus at the end with chainsaw holes so that they can fight zombies. <laughs> a lot of it is about, like, the sort of procedural questions of, like, how do you—how how would you survive in a zombie apocalypse? And, like, I just don't give a shit about that at all. And I also find it a little bit—like, uh, that because this isn't really the Dawn of the Dead remake that does this. But, you know, there's that whole industry that came out, like, Max Brooks wrote The Zombie Survival Guide— You know, you you see it sometimes on people's like dating profiles these days, even where they're like, here's what I do in a zombie apocalypse, (laughs) which isn't, (laughs) yeah, well, yeah, get eaten. That's the worst Um, part. (laughs) But like they turned this critique of consumer culture in American society into Mm -hmm. an expression of consumer culture where it was all about like, if I had the right gear, if I had the right stuff, like then I'd really be set, then I'd be great. And it's like, you know, we are kind of living through a zombie apocalypse right now. So I'm wondering how much people think that they're like you know their consumer preparations have have uh you know made them ready for the depression that we're all like moving up into. Um so that I, basically my critique of the the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake is like number one I I think it's bullshit that it's called Dawn of the Dead and that it's right. like a, a not socially conscious movie at all. And second like I can, if you held a gun to my head, I could not identify any character from that movie. I could tell you that Sarah Polly and Ving Rames were in it. Um I could remember particular scenes, but like to me it's just it's a hollow it's a hollow picture and all the best things about it are stolen from, you know, sort of better movies with more depth. I also think that that's true about 28 Days Later. Um I think 28 Days Later is basically like a, a fast motion remake of A bunch of different things like, you know, the the scenes of the deserted London, I think, owe a lot to Day of the Triffids, um, which is an excellent, uh, excellent short story. Also, excellent movie. (coughs) Um, But, you know, there's when they get to the military base, then it's like Day of the Dead. You know, it's like it's like watching all of the the Ramiro trilogy, like in fast motion. And I but the thing about the, the kind of redeems 28 Days Later and does not affect the Dawn of the Dead remake at all is that 28 Days Later, you know, they shot it all on those digital cameras. It's got, like, a very, you know, well-done, like, well-thought-out aesthetic and look. And, like, you know, I I get 28 Days Later. I will accept 28 Days Later, even though I don't think it's, like, you know, I I don't think it's up there with the the Dead trilogy or even, like, Return of the Living Dead or something like that uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, zombie pictures. But, like, you know, I'll accept it as, like, an artistic project with, like, a a really well-done aesthetic. And, like... To the extent that the Dawn of the Dead remake has an aesthetic, it has twenty eight days later twenty eight days later uh, aesthetic, but like transported to the United States and with different color grading. So that's that's kind of my take on that.
0: I think that's a wholly valid opinion, and I, I it sounds a lot like your problems with the Dawn of the Dead remake aren't dissimilar from uh, what my problems were with Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Oh God, uh, yeah, which is just essentially just commercializing. Uh, everything that was artistically great about something that came uh, many years before and uh, creating a bastardized version of that. Um, I find 28 days later to be a uh, fairly overrated and kind of tonally inconsistent. I think the uh, the wind gets really sucked out of that movie as soon as they hit the military base mm-hmm. and it becomes mm-hmm. a completely different film. Yeah. Now, uh, but on,
2: Tom, did you oh, see did you get something to say? Did you see I Dr. Sleep Don?
1: I did see Dr. Sleep. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think
2: <laughs> what do, i always I, I like do. i like asking people just because i feel i feel like m- me and 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 low rest really hated it and
0: most of everyone else is like it's fine it's good yeah i love it no
1: i do not love it no i i see i saw it with a guy who was like you know it's okay i was super shocked that red letter media liked it by the way did you guys yeah. see that like, and they were saying, oh, uh, it's like yeah. an, it's an old school kind of movie. And I'm like, in what fucking sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, here's, here's, here's my thing with Dr. Sleep, because like, I don't hate it 100% all the way through. Um, cause I actually had read the book that it's based on and there are moments of the, the movie that are pretty good adaptations of what I found to be like, like, I, I Stephen King's not my favorite writer. I don't think Dr. Sleep is a great book. But, you know, it's it's good enough. It's fine. You know, it's it's got some decent character work. I like Danny Torrance in it. I like the whole thing about him going through AA, which is like a common Stephen King theme. And I like the the, the kind of like hard scrabble redemption arc that he has in that picture or in that in that novel. And, you know, there's parts of the movie that are a pretty good adaptation of, of that book. Right. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I I was
0: almost on board with the movie up until they do go to the Overlook and the whole ending has changed. Because I read the book as well. I wasn't a fan of the book. I didn't like the more fantastical elements uh, that were inserted in Rose the Hat as a villain. I I was never a fan of that character. I liked the first 30-some-odd minutes of the movie, and I thought the idea of having uh, Danny Torrance as a hospice worker helping uh, patients pass over... uh, could have been great in theory. I think it's a great follow-up idea, but it just, it it gradually decays, especially in the film version where uh, for all the reasons you're saying right now, I mean, we, we, we spent about what, two hours (laughs) complaining about this movie on a podcast already. Um, But it's, uh, it's insane what they try to do with this. And it's entirely, I think because Warner brothers had it in their head, probably around 2015 or so, that, oh, we're going to mind The Shining next as our next big franchise. It is popular right now. Uh, and now you see that uh, they had planned for a follow-up to Doctor Sleep, if that had performed well, that would have been like Dick Halloran as Van Helsing in that whole world. And that didn't work out. So they're going to do a J.J. Abrams Overlook series instead, which is going to be a prequel. <laughs> so the first movie we're going to be getting into is Night of the Living Dead. That is George Romero's first film. It's uh, one of his films that maybe aged the best. Criterion recently put out a special Blu-ray release of it, restored it. And we were talking about how uh, it's in the public domain. Mm-hmm. And anybody can tinker with that and release their own version. Hans, you got swindled into paying for Night of the Living Dead 3D starring Sid Haig. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I'm...
2: Probably one of the few people that saw uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead before the original, and Night of the Living Dead 3D before the original.
1: Oh my uh, god! No. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised <laughs> you first? survived that experience. Oh. I I actually don't think that Night of the Living Dead 3D was because of the public domain thing, though. I think that that was because uh, you know because the rights to Night of the Living Dead are split between uh, George Romero and I believe his name is John Russo. Um, and he's, he's got yeah. like half of the franchise. So that's like his whole, his stake in night of the living dead is the reason why in the nineties, there were all those like weird, like, I think specifically 3d was related to his ownership of the brand, but also a uh, return of the living dead is an official sequel to night of the living dead because, uh, Russo has, has that ownership.
0: Yeah. You see, Have you guys uh, uh, ever seen the color? And uh, the the extended cut of Night of the Living Dead that was put out around the time of the 30th anniversary oh, that John yeah. Russo had um, shepherded, uh, where they went out and they filmed with like really bad local actors, more scenes to explain how the zombies came about. And there's a there's a preacher that looks like Anton Lavey, and uh, apparently he did like tracks for the extended cut. It's uh, really rough. They're all on YouTube in a combined video that you can watch. And I think it's maybe about 25 minutes long if anybody is curious.
1: Yeah. No, I i have not. Dug, uh, I have not taken the, the Russo pill. I have not dug into the, the Russo verse. Aside from Return of the Living Dead, which I think like, you know, every, everybody's pretty positively disposed towards that movie. But, uh, Mm -hmm. no, I haven't seen the colorized version or the extended version. I I have heard that they are, like, ridiculously terrible.
2: Yeah, they are. They're they're not worth anybody's time. I'm looking at John Roos' IMDb, and uh, there's uh, another Night of the Living Dead that was so good that is directed by Alan Smithy. So, I'm sure sure that's a classic. Uh, And uh, Escape of the Living Dead has been announced um
1: escape of the living dead
2: yeah there's no information at all it just says that the last update was in may 2017 and it has 50 percent funding but um just by seeing that the you know the last one uh of the living dead that he wrote was that another night of the living dead i i can imagine that that's probably dead by now
1: yeah hopefully yeah. i mean this is the franchise that just won't die because people get uh you know, there's a sequel to Day of the Dead, even like uh, Day of the Contagion. Dead, Contagion. Yeah. Have you guys seen oh, that? Yes. I, I <sighs> haven't. I haven't. personally.
0: No, no. I, I remember being curious about that when I was just a, a young lad surfing the, the world wide web back in what, like 2006, 2007. And these kinds of movies would pop up. And uh, yeah, I, there, there's so many like offshoots and remakes and sequels to these movies that if they have like interesting advertising campaigns and then you sit down and you watch them and you can tell that there was like no care no thought put into any of it it was just a quick cash grab like the day of the dead remake that steve Miner directed is one of the worst films i've ever seen in my entire life and that has like a, le- a legitimate cast to it that has ving rames that has uh some other actors and uh it it's uh Putrid. It's it's really terrible.
1: Is it actually a remake of Day of the Dead? Is it like that that storyline and shit?
0: No, no. It, it 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 might as well be any other zombie film. Um, it's it has very little to do with Day of the Dead or the themes of that movie. They essentially just used the name up mm. uh, to bolster DVD sales.
1: I, I would argue that they did a similar thing with the with the remake of Dawn of the Dead, but. Uh you know well i mean it, to not to bolster dvd sales cuz obviously that was like that was a much better production but it's like you know the name and and kind of none of the mm-hmm. none of the rest of it especially none of the thematics but uh so um yeah.
0: to get back to night of the living dead though where do you guys want to start in terms of discussing the film itself as opposed to uh, any of its sequels or rip-offs or I guess I'm just I'm just editions. a little
2: little surprised as to how much of a hack John Russo is. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going I'm going through his entire filmography and everything looks like shit. Like it's not even that they're old. Even the you know the two thousands, they still
0: look like just terrible. Well, he, his his talent for on Night of the Living Dead was just being there. Yeah. He, he was in the right he, place at the right time, and he has he, milked that his entire career.
1: Like he happened to be, you know, in the the same area as a genius filmmaker, you know, spinning like like I, in my opinion, Night of the Living Dead, is the moment that horror movies become modern horror movies. You know what I mean? It's like you could talk about like the Hammer horror flicks and and shit like that. I mean, there's some there's some really cool horror movies that you know that are are, are sort of like bracing experimental from the '60s, but like. I feel like aside from the fact that it's in black and white, Night of the Dead, Night of Living Dead feels totally contemporary in the way it treats its characters in the sort of the the absolute brilliant thing about it is that limited perspective on a global catastrophe. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you don't actually see the cities full of the living dead. You hear about it in snatches on the television. It's so much creepier. Then if you had actually like, you know, you think about where the zombie genre kind of went and it's like uh the story for Night of the Living Dead of this, like all the dead have come back to life. It could have been fucking World War Z with Brad Pitt, where it's like, we need you to come out of retirement, chief. Like you got to you got to fly around on a helicopter. We've got these like massive sweeping crowd scenes of all the zombies. No, you don't need it. It's not scary. It's fucking bullshit. I mean, I haven't seen World War Z. I'm not interested. But you know what I'm saying? Like that that expansive, you know, God's eye view perspective of this disaster is not actually that scary. The genius of Night of Living Dead is that you're stuck with those characters and you don't know what's going on any more than they do. And when you get those glimpses of it, it's just so – and, you know, this holds in Dawn of the Dead. This holds in Day of the Dead. It's that limited perspective that just really makes them – unnerving, you know, really well done films. And like, to me, Night of Living Dead, it, it has aged so tremendously well. Like even the fact that it's, you know, it, it was in the public domain for a lot of years. A lot of times, like I'd be watching Night of Living Dead in sort of like suboptimal copies. Like I've watched this with a lot of different people. And I think it's engaged every single group that I've watched it with. It's like people that would absolutely tune out if I tried to get them to watch Creature from the Black Lagoon, are the incredibly strange creatures that uh, stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. Like, Night of the Living Dead works 100%. Any audience, any time. I think it's, a, it's a, a work of genius.
0: And it's kind of surprising that other filmmakers who are competent and have dabbled in that territory of horror <clears throat> haven't seen... They, they haven't grasped the fact that, for the reasons you're stating right now, that kind of intimacy that... That personal nature to each of the the Dead trilogy films uh, is really what makes them work, I think, uh, and and brings them out to be their strongest. They always seem to be gearing toward this all encompassing nature of like this, you know, the world, the town, the city, et cetera, uh, is infested. We want to show this as much as we can, as opposed to it's just people trying to survive in one location barricade themselves in there or or avoid whatever terror lies outside the doorway um do you think that's because
2: people just don't have patience for small stories like that and which is why something like war war z which to me it's like a a zombie show if cbs uh made it but it made but it made 540 million worldwide uh as opposed to you know a, a smaller story from people that are you know trying to survive the thing but not at a large a scale in, like World War Z, I uh I think it would be maybe a little bit more difficult for the regular public to just sit and watch that instead then again um didn't uh Cloverfield 2 do something similar to that yeah I mean I'm, it did. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they didn't I mean they didn't make as much money obviously as World War Z but uh something like that i don't know if it's just maybe the studios are scared of putting a smaller story like that that does is not going to be you're not going to be able to get like a a loud um wild trailer out of uh as yeah. opposed to having a crowd of zombies trying to climb a wall and then take it down in a helicopter or whatever the fuck happens in that shit.
1: well i i think it has to do uh with the, like I think that Night of the Living Dead and World War Z are like, like calling them both movies is actually kind of reductive, because they're really doing very different things. Like, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Martin, like, George Romero's movies are stories. And they're very heavy on theme, they're very heavy on social commentary, they've got really good, uh, really full-featured characters. Um, even like Creepshow, which is his horror anthology movie, it's like, every character in that movie is so vivid, like so alive, you know, it's, it, it, it just explodes off of the screen. These are stories, you know, stories told in cinematic form, but they're still like, they are primarily stories. Even if they are like, they have these fantastical elements, these horror elements, whatever else. Um, it's, it's more of a theatrical thing, more of a, of a storytelling experience. Then when you get to like blockbuster cinema, like post star Wars, cinema. Like the thing is blockbuster movies are always going to make way more money than, you know, a, a, you know, just like an intimate story that's really focused on character and theme. And the reason is because they sell themselves entirely on like visual spectacle. And it's not that they don't have character and theme, but the character and theme are sort of like smoothed and rounded to the point where it's like, Everybody is going to have at least some connection to it, um, but it's not really about telling the story. It's about the story as a delivery mechanism for visual spectacle. So yeah, it's going to make a lot more money, but I don't think it's actually like the blockbuster audience. In my opinion, is not the audience for film. It's a different thing. Like, and my- I think that's a great way
0: of looking at it. Um, and also now I. Th- you know let's assume that uh the pandemic that we're in the middle in middle of um has you know repercussions that go long beyond that i think uh theater chains are going to feel this for a while um there that would breed an opportunity for these smaller films to maybe find an audience through something like a streaming platform um so i i don't think that the, the day that uh, uh these types of movies maybe don't have a place as upon us. No. But uh, I certainly think that moving forward, uh, the theater is going to be reserved for those World War Z-style epics. And I think categorizing that as a different thing than you know film or, or, or what have you in general, like uh, Don is doing right now, is a good way of uh, looking at it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I would wonder... Because the, the thing is, the blockbuster business is all based on, like, you make a ton of money really quick, but it doesn't last. You know? Like, I mean, Star Wars lasted, but, like, we've seen, you know, all it took was three lousy movies, or four lousy... I can't, I can't remember, but, like, <laughs> you know, however many shitty Disney Star Wars movies they made, and suddenly the merchandise sales are in the toilet because nobody fucking cares anymore, you know? Like... The Marvel movies and stuff—it's like, yeah, there's a huge merchandising empire related to that. But like, there was a huge merchandising empire before the movies came around. My my suspicion—I don't know if it's a hundred percent borne out—is these blockbuster movies, the way that they make them today, they're never going to last as long as Night of the Living Dead. You know, like look at look at how powerful Night of the Living Dead is. Because yeah, it's a shitty, you know, low budget black and white movie, right? john russo has made his career off of just being around when they shot it like that's a lot of suction for a little black and white movie like it's got longevity how many people are going to remember world war z in 10 years how many people remember avatar now like yeah it made a ton of money when it came out it was the most successful movie of all time when it came out but Thank like
0: you. i got i got into a giant <coughs> argument for 10 hours with a member in our collective about avatar and someone trying to make the argument the claim that avatar is still culturally relevant to this day and it's not it's completely forgotten nobody watches that movie nobody cares about that movie was, it was meaningless i was you in haven't a seen it?
1: Uh... <laughs>
2: I I was I, a, I, uh, I read okay. something about how if you don't see it in the theater, there's really no point, and I missed it. Correct. So I was in like,
0: 2009.
2: Okay. Yeah, and I missed it. So I was like, "All right, then I don't I don't care." And what happened to the seven sequels that they were planning, or however many they were? They're,
1: they're still they're in still production, just apparently. <laughs> yeah. It, it, who knows? I I was in a a late night. Uh, I was getting a, a falafel. I was at a, a fucking Middle Eastern restaurant in the middle of the night. I look up on the TV and I'm like, you know, I'm, I've am i been up for a while. I'm a little bit uh, a little bit high. And uh, I see these blue creatures like running around with robots and shit. I watched it for 15 minutes before I realized it was Avatar. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what the fuck? This movie looks so fucking weird. Jesus Christ, how do I not know about this? And I was like, oh, it's Avatar. Oh, right. It was the biggest movie of all time. You know, fucking eight years ago. Now I don't. I don't even remember the blue people. That's how bad it is. Yeah, it's just gone out of my head.
0: I think that's the ideal viewing experience: is sitting down at a falafel place <laughs> under the influence, watching watching Avatar <laughs> with on no television. sound. Yeah,
2: with
1: well, no watching sound. Avatar <laughs> with, with no sound on a t- on a television. Yeah.
2: What um, you were talking about uh, blockbusters just not really delving into stories uh something like that happened to me with uh the megalodon movie that came out a couple of years ago uh, oh, yeah. because uh i remember reading that book a long time ago and it was good it was really good and i was excited when they announced that they were going to make a meg movie because i thought they were going to take it serious i thought they were going to do a a jaws like thing and then it was just jason statham punching a giant shark and and uh I was very disappointed, so I completely agree with, with what you said about how you know blockbusters don't really need to be deep at all. It's just how can we, how can we sell this trailer, and the story doesn't really matter. Uh, it just has to be really loud and, and show a lot of uh, CGI thing, and, and that's it.
0: I would make the argument that at this point it's almost unrealistic to have any hopes for a blockbuster to, to have lasting value or some kind of creative integrity or, or intelligence to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's a different thing. It's like, mm-hmm. there could be good blockbusters or bad blockbusters, but, you know, like, at least where I'm at in my life right now, it's like, the blockbuster as I see it is like, oh, okay, so, you know, people used to make this argument all the time where they'd say, like, oh, man, look at how popular this kitten video is. Like, the internet's making everybody stupid. I'm like, well, that's not necessarily true. It's just that, like... A 13 second video of a cute kitten is something that no matter how stupid or smart you are, you are, you know, that's an enjoyable little piece of candy. And so, of course, it's got like billions of views. Right. Like it doesn't say anything about the people consuming it. It just says that, like, we've created this thing that's like broadly acceptable to millions of people. And that's what the blockbuster is. That's what the Marvel movies are. It's like we've created a product that is broadly acceptable to you and your grandma and your kid brother. And you can all go and like have a collective experience when you watch it at the theater. I mean, I I think when the theaters are coming back, because I I know I have a friend in the theater business and like they're talking about reopening in July or whatever. But like, I don't know. Are people really going to want to go to the theater when the theater is like a vector of disease, which it like always (laughs) has been?
0: I don't know. think so. I, I think this is. I, I really think this is probably going to be it for. This is what's going to push things over the edge because a lot of people have been talking for a while. Oh, the theater chains are dying, slowly dying. I yeah. think you're going to see a lot of the smaller ones just gone. I know that there's tons of revival theaters that uh, you know were probably just getting by uh, from the local Boston area and you know probably around here in New York uh, that are relying on donations at this point uh, to hopefully stay open. I don't know. I don't know if there's really much of an environment for that in today's landscape.
2: Well, I think before, before when you go to those multiplexes and you sit in one of those very cushiony seats, those seats are disgusting, but now they're disgusting and they can kill you. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to take that risk to watch another fucking Ant-Man movie. You know, it's not really it's not really worth going. I'm I'm. I'm looking at the list of blockbusters from last year, which is the, you know, the last year when we actually had them, and there's not one that I would think I would want to watch in 5 years. There's, you know, Avengers, Lion King, Star Wars, Spider-Man, mm.
0: Toy Story 4, Frozen 2, Captain Marvel, Fast and Furious. They're all from the same company. But I I think the thing that's also important to keep in mind when we're talking about these older films is that many of the blockbusters of the 70s and 60s and probably 80s weren't even intended to be as big as they wound up becoming, Yeah, right? Unlike the the films you're talking about right now, which are uh, conveyor belt products yeah. from, from the Disney line. Well, so, see, that,
1: it, that's the thing that's interesting about Star Wars, which is like, I mean, you could talk about Jaws, you know, being like the first blockbuster, but Jaws is like, you know, it's just a well-made monster movie, right? Star Wars, there's an alternate reality where Star Wars is just like a funky space movie that like weirdos like and that there is that there are no sequels you know it it just like it came out and people were like oh that's that's fucking weird and you know <laughs> that that uh, the fact that it became this like massive success it's like the entire movie industry has just sort of been rejiggered into like how do I make Star Wars you know <laughs> it's like this very weird thing where people are just like trying to dissect a a work of art and like make it work for them you know like like avatar is very clearly james cameron saying like this is my star wars you know what i mean
2: (laughs) fucking terrible i'm looking at um blockbusters from the 80s and even even something like terminator has more depth Mm. than anything that came out last year and comparable blockbuster like Uh, And that's just like a, you know, I guess sci-fi action movie that's not supposed to be very deep or or smart, but it has a lot of more emotion and it drags you in a lot more than something like a detective Pikachu, you know?
1: (laughs) I mean, there was a Terminator movie that came out last year. I mean, I think I even saw it. I don't know if I can remember fucking anything.
0: All I know about that movie is that they got. Uh, edward furlong to show up for a quick motion capture before killing off john connor in like the first 10 minutes i remember there being headlines like edward furlong is coming back to the terminator franchise and it was literally just for this little moment where he (laughs) dies right away where he doesn't act at all he's just standing there and then probably dies
1: oh that's that's terrible i mean but like terminator is another one where it's like it's not a huge budget movie. It's relatively limited in scope. I mean, you do see a little bit of the future war, but mostly you just hear about the future war, yeah. you know? Like like Night of the Living Dead, like Dawn of the Dead. It's got this, you know, like Dawn of the Dead is much more expansive than the Night, but uh you know, it's it's uh it's a little movie that could and it's like it mostly is interesting on the level of like the characters and the world seen from their point of view it feels much bigger than it actually is like you feel like you get this much more complete experience than what you're actually seeing on screen you know and that takes mm-hmm. us back to night of the living dead because that's what it's all about is like it feels like the end of the world but mostly you're just seeing like a farmhouse and a cemetery
0: now this movie was very successful i did launch george romero's career And the thing that he followed it up with was a a romantic comedy, which Hans, I know you spent your time (laughs) watching this and and the film that followed it. There's always vanilla. John A. Russo is the producer of this movie as well. Uh, Hans, I mean, what did you make of this $70,000 rom-com that has nothing to do with Night of the Living Dead?
2: Um, It's it's definitely, it feels like an experimental movie because there's a lot of... uh, parts in the movie when we're interviewing the main character and he's talking directly to camera, but then, you know, he acts normally like a regular actor in the rest of the movie. So it feels a little bit experimental, but that doesn't really take away from the fact that it's really dull and just a chore to get through. Uh, He got um, this guy that kind of looks like a less charming Mark Duplass that I think is in a lot of his movies. Um, I, I don't remember what his name is, but I just couldn't. I, he didn't really do much for me, and the entire movie is just following him to the point where you know we we see him talking straight to camera. Uh, but uh, there's a, there's a thing of just constant music playing in the background too, which makes it feel a little bit experimental. But it's 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 kind of just it, it feels long, and the the comedy doesn't really hit. Like I understand that it's a romantic comedy, so you're not supposed to laugh out loud, but. I not even like a nothing. Uh, and uh, that happens to me a lot with older movies where I just don't feel like the humor holds up most of the time. But in this one, I just didn't think there was any, <laughs> I don't even, The only thing that made me laugh was that um, when the guy was courting the, the main actress, he called her fat. And even though she's a model. And so he started like nagging her like that in a very obvious uh-huh. pickup, up artist way from, <laughs> from modern day. So that made me chuckle a little bit, but it is kind of a chore to get through. I I, I wouldn't really recommend <laughs> any Romero fans so, to watch it unless you're a completionist that you just want to watch everything.
0: Sh- sure. So there's two interesting things here, right? The fact that he went on to make this film probably means that he didn't consider himself, and probably even even as uh you know he he finished out his career with Survival of the Dead, probably didn't consider himself a horror director, even though that's what he would become known for, and that would be the majority of his output. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to jump into a, a, a genre like this and not only um, do this movie, but then also do the follow-up film, uh, Season of the Witch, would, which would come out essentially as like a Russ Meyer-style film. It was advertised as softcore porn um, under the name Hungry Wives, yeah, which is uh, another one you, you decided to give your time to, Hans. But um, uh, it seems like that... He, he he always had the zombie genre to fall back on. So it, it, it makes me curious if Dawn of the Dead was something he he conjured up out of uh, necessity, maybe. I don't know enough about the, the creation of that film. Uh, Dawn, maybe you do, but... Uh,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I know a little bit about the making of Dawn of the Dead. I mean, Dawn of the Dead is one of these things. I do think that there's an element of, of truth to, like... I, I don't think George Romero wanted to be a horror filmmaker. Like, I don't think he ever really saw himself as, like, a genre guy, you know? Like, he's not a... He, he He's not, like, obsessed with putting... He's not, like, like Rob Zombie. That's a good way to put it. He's not, like, a horror fan who makes horror movies. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I don't think he, like, specifically dislikes horror movies, but I think that, you know, he's just... He sees himself as being capable of a lot more, and he is. Um... But Dawn of the Dead was something where it's like he, he had to get funding from Italy. Uh the reason it's set in a mall is that he knew a guy who had a mall and they were able to film at night. Um it was just this tremendous like because Dawn of the Dead has like a really big scope, right? But it was because Night of the Living Dead was so successful, he was able to get enough investors together to make this sort of like, you know, guerrilla style, you know, blockbuster epic zombie movie. And I do think that he was very invested in it. I don't think it was like a a thing where he was like, oh, well, shit, back to this, you know? Because it's like (laughs) if he had really been like that, then he would have made a cheapo John Russo style Night of Living Dead 2, right? And Dawn of the Dead. Maybe. Dawn of the Dead is not that movie.
0: Right. I I would say that George Romero has... Well, we we know that he's clearly the creative brain out of the, out of these two guys. But I'll give you a comparison, maybe, which is Nicholas Winding Refn uh, winds up having to uh, face bankruptcy after a movie called Fear X. And his instinct was, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna go back to my film that created my career. I'm gonna go to Pusher, and I'm gonna do Pusher two and Pusher three, so I can hopefully make the money back. And it was kind of do or die for him. But that didn't mean that he didn't have any personal or emotional investment in the product he was making. It just was that extra element on the line for him where if this fails, then, you know, he's probably picking up a handheld camera and getting a job at, you know, Stop and Shop or something.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that there's there's an aspect of that, you know, for sure. Because, like, the, what is – after Season of the Witch, is it Dawn of the Dead or is it The Crazies first? Uh, the, crazies uh, the Crazies
0: comes out the same year as Season of the Witch.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. Because The Crazies even is like, to me, The Crazies is like a dress rehearsal for Dawn of the Dead in a lot of ways. Because um, it's not, it's a very different movie than Night of the Living Dead. It's got more of a, you know, more of a militaristic uh, vibe to it. Um, it's also a very s- similar movie to because you know we, Hans was and I were talking before the show and it's basically got the same ending, right? I mean, spoilers for the crazies if
2: anybody cares. Yeah. Um 30 years. But
1: like what what did you guys think of uh what did you guys think of the crazies cuz it's like I, I always kind of saw it as, you know, the the dress rehearsal version of of Donna Dead or like the interstitial point between Night and Dawn.
0: It does feel like a checkpoint between those two films. Uh or or like a merger of the two. Uh, before we fully dive into the crazies, real mm-hmm. quick though, Hans, because you did watch season of the witch, yeah. uh, do you think there's anything of note to mention about that before we talk about uh, the subsequent film? Uh,
2: I don't. I don't know. I was trying to figure out the softcore core um, approach because the sex scenes that they show in the movie are very like even to that time even to the 70s they're very very mild um so i don't know if maybe the soft soft core that i grew up with um it's way more modern or, or more um showy, uh showy i guess well, than you're
0: that like 40. you're pushing <laughs>
2: middle age now because I mean. Because like the 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 one scene that stuck in my head was uh, when they're just kind of I guess having sex in the in the carpet and then she's completely covered by a towel under him, uh, which is a, a weird thing to have while you're laying on the ground with the carpet. So uh, the fact that it was sold as a softcore porn first before you know they released it as season of the witch was really peculiar to me, especially because uh, it does kind of look like a like a porno movie. Uh, There's not a lot of uh, outdoors in it. Uh, A lot of it happens inside, so it feels very claustrophobic. It feels like she's inside of, like, a a cage. Uh, But uh, it's just all over the place, so it's not very consistent tonally. And uh, and then at the end, uh, it... Uh, the, the conflict gets resolved really easily and very quickly he, She, she uh, spoilers another movie that came out 35 years ago uh, she kills her husband at the end in a very sloppy very oh look at what happened way and then she just gets away with it because she's a witch and it's just very I don't know uh, it didn't do it for me same with, uh, with there's always vanilla like I, I felt like I wasted Which one was better season of the witch <laughs> just because visually it's a little bit more interesting but they're both not,
0: not very good
2: and you got into
0: the crazies as well.
2: Yeah, I watched the crazies and um Yeah, I um uh, I, I feel like um it, it's one of those movies where um I, I, I don't know if it was Romero that had not figured it out, but the action feels very sloppy. Uh feels yeah. feels very uh theater like where someone gets shot and then they jump 20 feet in the air and like move their arms and it's just very uh not unrealistic i guess i don't know if it's because now we've been exposed to so many even real videos of people getting shot where it just looks kind of odd but the action in that movie kind of took me out of it a little bit at first uh and then i the ending was just very i just yeah I, i i couldn't get um into it at all uh I, I get what uh, Don says about the Don of the Dead thing, but this definitely not nowhere near as good as as Don of the Dead,
0: right? And th- this is the first movie in his filmography where you start to uh, notice some faces that will come up later on. He has like a good band of actors uh, within that Pittsburgh area that he winds up reutilizing. We have uh, at least one cast member of Day of the Dead. In here, and then uh, before the show, Don, you had mentioned the the man with the eye patch at the beginning of Dawn of the Dead, who's uh, on the television having a debate with somebody. He has a prominent role in this film as well. Yeah, he's and he's like
1: a government scientist in the in the crazy. He's you know? great. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. The like big fat guy with the beard, who's I think his big quotable quote is in Dawn of the Dead. He's the one who says we need to drop nuclear bombs on all the big cities. It's the only way. It's that or the end. Mm. that's i i love that guy he's he's like he's a big b-movie ham but he's fantastic and he's so good in dawn of the dead you know i mean dawn of the dead you when hans you were talking about the action in the crazies it's like if you look at the way that you know sort of the the kills and stuff in the crazies are executed versus dawn of the dead um i feel like you see so much development there and so much like perfecting because like Pretty much every kill in Dawn of the Dead is like a classic, you know, one hundred percent, you know, quoted, referenced, uh, you know, kill in cinema. Like you know the 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 zombie getting his head chopped off by the helicopter, yeah. the headshot where it's like that giant entry wound, like
2: the guts, you know. And
1: I, the guts. Oh my god! I mean, Tom Savini, who did uh, special effects for uh, Dawn of the Dead, that was his first. I don't did he do special effects on the Crazies? I don't think so.
0: I don't think so either. Yeah, I, th- I think Dawn of the Dead might have been his first go around for that.
1: But he he, you know, Dawn of the Dead is like a very comic booky kind of. This is nineteen seventy eight. You know, like not to move on too quick from the Crazies, but like it's a very comic booky kind of heightened reality thing. But like, even if it's not necessarily convincing or like realistic, quote unquote, because I don't think anybody would say that about Dawn of the Dead. It's like you're never bored watching it. It's always absorbing. It's always uh, fascinating. It's sometimes stomach-turning. Like, I, I'm fascinated by the special effects and, the, and the, the way that they approach action in that movie, and it's so <clears throat> much more effective than the crazies.
0: Uh, and Dawn of the Dead winds up coming out at the same time, uh, or the same year, rather, as Martin, which is a, a much smaller film, by comparison. I cited it on the last show as my favorite Romero film.
1: Yeah, uh, It still
0: holds that title.
1: Yeah, and, it's my favorite uh, as well.
0: John Ampler's as Martin is uh, excellent. But Hans, you, you took a nap during this movie. You fell asleep. Yeah. yeah you, I ha- you, were, you were dozing off. What, I, why? I have an
2: issue of uh, laying down and watching movies. I'm, I'm too old, <laughs> I guess. I don't have enough energy but I keep dozing <laughs> you off. You could
0: sit through Season of the Witch and there's always <laughs> vanilla. You couldn't sit through Martin. <laughs>
2: I, could, I didn't finish it. I couldn't finish it. And then I just didn't have enough time. Um, I, I didn't get uh, deep enough to exactly know what was going on completely. So I'll just get, let you guys talk about it. And uh, I'm sure I'll watch it later.
0: Well, uh, Martin is about uh, uh, an adopted boy who's searching for his real father. And um, he, I, I know. It, uh, Don, do you want to give a good summary of Martin?
1: Ah, oh, jeez. Okay, so Martin is about a vampire who may or may not be a vampire. Uh, it's a boy who's living with his... Uh, he's an adopted boy. He's living with his uh, sort of adopted family who believe him to be this, you know, satanic vampire figure. He has memories, or maybe they're hallucinations, of uh, living in different times of, of history that are all sort of, like, shot with the deliberate in my opinion, chinsiness Like, they have a, a, you know, a lot of fog machine. Uh, they're actually done in, like, sepia tone. And, you know, Martin himself, like, when he sucks blood, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the fangs. He's not, like, you know, a traditional Count Dracula-style vampire. Uh, he opens people's veins. He, he drugs them, opens their veins with a razor blade, and then injects the blood, like a heroin addict. And sort of the whole thing is about this question of identity at the core of of that character. And like, to what degree, like he is a vampire, you know, he's actually sucking blood. Does it matter if this is something that's put on him culturally or if this is something that's like a biological imperative, you know, as William James says in the varieties of religious experience, our material experience of the world is a Island floating in a sea of immaterial abstracts. And I think that Martin is ultimately about the tension between How much we are shaped by our idea of ourselves versus uh, how much we are shaped by, you know, uh, biological reality or material reality. And I think that it's a fucking fascinating movie. I think that every performance in it is fantastic. I especially appreciate uh, Martin's like uh, religious uncle. I think it's an uncle.
0: Oh, no, no, no. It's his cousin. His cousin cousin is like 75 years old. Martin is, I mean, at the time of um, shooting, John Amplis was only 29, but I think they want you to believe that Martin is maybe in his early 20s or, like, late teens, and he certainly has that look to him.
1: Yeah, but um, his cousin is 75 years old, you know, he's also an immortal vampire, you know, potentially.
0: Um, There's something about, like, the family bloodline where, uh, you know, he has a second cousin who lives uh, with... The older cousin, who's a girl, and she's dating uh, Tom Savini in the film, and Tom Savini wants to ditch the town and take her with him, but the the cousin is, uh, you know, he's he's very against this because he doesn't want his bloodline continuing because he fears for more Martins, more vampires coming up. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting film. If anybody has seen, uh, you know, the TV show Dexter it's kind of got a similar approach to that with vampirism and made so much better um than that so yeah, but hans i mean what 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 was your your problem with martin where it just couldn't hold your attention
2: um honestly i'm i'm not entirely sure i uh it was it felt uh very claustrophobic and, and there was a lot of close ups uh which i didn't really mind that much i guess it's it's a little bit odd because uh it's not something that uh you 're used to i guess with with modern movies but uh i don't i don't know i just uh, it 's not that i didn 't like it i i just didn 't get into the story and then I passed out so i don 't really have much against it i i just I had a couple of notes here that i had, that I wrote that one of them was just that if you were a murderer in the seventies, life was awesome because no one could catch you <laughs> uh, and I feel like that that is shown in this movie i don 't know if if he gets caught at the end or not but I remember thinking that yes, while they, seeing it. Yes, they but.
0: slap him in handcuffs. He goes to the county jail, and that's the end of Martin. You just see yeah. bars in front of his face, and he's holding them and frowning. And oh. then they roll the credits. No, this movie has one of the best endings of any movie, in my opinion, which is that regardless of whether or not uh, Martin is a genuine vampire or not, uh, he's he's goaded his older cousin, his his senile cousin, on one too many times there's, there's actually a scene where he's like teasing him kind of, uh, where he puts fangs in his mouth, he gets a cape and they, they bring out that fog machine. Uh, and, um, you know, he's like chasing him around a little bit and, uh, you know, he falls down on like, a, uh, uh, what, what's the, what's the thing I'm thinking of at the, uh, the playground that twirls, that spins. Oh, It's a very uh... like 1950s playground sort of device
1: yeah yeah I mean i I don't know the name of it. it's like a a it's, it's like a spinner I don't know sure
0: yes, we'll just call it a spinner it's, it's unimportant, but yeah. um you know he, he just pushes his cousin a little too far that one time, and then the cousin comes back with like an exorcist, and Martin runs off during that. but the movie ends with his cousin, who fully believes he's a vampire, reminds him at every turn that Martin is a vampire that he's knows Sferatu, uh staking him in the chest abruptly. Because he thinks that Martin is responsible for the suicide of this older woman that he's been sleeping with when in actuality, she was just depressed in an unhappy marriage, and she cut her own wrists okay it's a very it, It's a very like abrupt uh completely unexpected turn of events for this story because you just think, all right, well, that happened, martin seems to have gotten over it rather quickly. He's out hanging out in the parade yeah. alongside all the dancers and singers and, and, and whatnot. And then we cut over to that. And it's like, of course, this is how it ends. You know, in retrospect, it's the only way it really could.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Cause it, it can't, you know, the, the, it's not really that interested in whether or not Martin is actually a vampire. It's interested in like how that belief impacts his character and how it works in the in the the mind of his cousin um and you know it's uh it's also kind of like it, as you're describing it here it's kind of an anti-exorcist movie you know what i mean because mm-hmm. it's like in the exorcist the whole thing is about like these you know rational people having to come to accept this sort of old world irrational spiritual explanation for things and it's about the deliverance of the exorcist and stuff like that. Whereas here, the old world is sort of, it, it is definitely a thing that has like, like ultimately it ruins Martin's life, you know, the, the way that his family perceives him. Uh, and it's something that is is much more, you know, this sort of old superstition is something that's much more insidious and something that's much more uh, difficult to confront than it is in, in Friedkin's, you know, The Exorcist.
0: Absolutely. And uh, George Romero does play a priest in this film, it should be noted, who really doesn't seem to take any anything that the cousin says seriously. He, he kind of pawns off that older priest onto him so he mm-hmm. doesn't have to perform any kind of exorcism. Um, yeah, and it, it's just an interesting contrast that this is the type of movie that would come out within the same year of Dawn of the Dead, which is just... Uh, in many ways like an antithesis to it
1: yeah i mean dawn of the dead is like a big like exuberant you know actiony kind of the, the way george romero always described it is like as a uh, comic book it's like a comic book of a movie um not to say that it's like a marvel movie or something where it's like based on a comic book but it's got that kind of like heightened reality to it And i mean as, as, am i wrong in saying that this is probably like the most popular and influential of his movies, like in general, like Dawn of the Dead, is the one that like gets the most cultural play. I mean, maybe Night I, th- of I think Dead. that
0: would, I think that would probably be correct.
1: And uh, you know, that also like Dawn of the Dead also spun off uh, a whole series of uh, Lucio Fulci uh, Italian follow ups, like because it was zombie when it was released in Italy, and then there's like Zombie Two, Zombie Three, oh. Zombie Four, like all the all those Fulci zombie movies are like technically branches off of dawn of the dead
0: have you guys seen any of those i i have not seen the uh the argento cut of uh dawn of the dead but i hear it just removes all of the humor and uh you know he has more control of the soundtrack
1: yeah i mean the i've seen the argento cut of dawn of the dead um and you know it's because there's a bunch of different versions of this movie have you guys seen the director's cut by the way
0: uh no i don't think so
1: so it's like an extended version that was played at uh, european film festivals and actually george romero did do the cuts for the theatrical version i still think that the best version of the movie is the you know the uh the theatrical uh the the argento version is interesting by contrast the the director's cut basically like there's a lot more before they actually go to the mall there's a lot of like uh, scenes that that feel very quick in the theatrical version that are actually a little bit fuller. I don't know if it, it's not like a bad change, but it's like you know, it's it's a little, it's interesting, but it's maybe not as effective. I do think definitely if like the if it had been the director's cut that had been released, you know, and it's actually kind of wrong to say director's cut because that implies somebody other than the director did the theatrical cut, which isn't true. But that earlier cut, that longer cut. Um, I think if that had been the one that was released, the movie probably wouldn't have the reputation that it does because it it turns it into a much slower burn, kind of a little bit more like Night of the Living Dead in terms of the pacing. Um, Whereas, you know, when the theatrical cut, Dawn of the Dead is like very action focused, you know, and it's like there's all kinds of uh, you, you feel like you're always going from like set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece in that movie. And uh, that, that kind of gets slowed down a little bit in the, the earlier version.
0: Uh, out of curiosity, what was uh, you guys' introduction to George Romero? Because this was loosely it for me. <laughs> I remember being like eight or nine years old and always skimming eBay to try to find the VHS copy of Dawn of the Dead. And it was impossible to find a copy back then. And it's still pretty rare now uh, to get like a good uh, a Blu-ray or, or what have you of um, – Dawn of the Dead um for whatever reason but I remember always trying to find that and then eventually I came across Night of the Living Dead when I realized those were connected and I checked that out and became aware of the Dead trilogy. I don't think I saw this movie until it got remastered for DVD uh maybe in like 2003 2004. Mm. And uh I remember it not being entirely what I had hyped it up to be in my mind at that point but uh, you know, now, uh, as an adult man, I think looking over the entire Dead trilogy and then Land of the Dead and, you know, the two that came after, which we won't even talk about, uh, I think it's probably the most well-rounded of those films and maybe the most well-rounded uh, Romero film that isn't, like, an intimate, personal film like Martin.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I – what was my introduction? I guess – this was like 2001 or 2002. Um, I was starting to get into horror movies and I got a VHS of Dawn of the Dead off of Amazon. I got Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. I Actually, my copy of Dawn of the Dead, my VHS copy, was signed by George Romero. Um, but it's uh, – I think it's lost in a warehouse in New York somewhere. So sadly, I've lost track of that. But I still have the copy of the Day of the Dead, weirdly. Um and I rem- I just remember that Dawn of the Dead, like, I don't know what I knew at that point. I mean, I, I guess at the time I was pretty active, like, figuring out what my movie purchases were going to be by, like, researching shit online. I had seen Night of the Living Dead. I had seen Night of the Living Dead when I was a kid, um, just, like, renting it out of Vulcan Video down here in Austin. Uh, but I just remember when Dawn of the Dead came in and when I watched it it was one of those movies that just, like, slapped me in the fucking face. And it's like, you ever have this experience where you watch a movie and then you take it out and you rewind it and you watch it again immediately? Dawn of the Dead was was that for me. And I probably watched Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, or Night of the Living Dead, uh, like, once a week, uh, all the way through high school, all the way through senior year of high school. I mean, I Dawn of the Dead was, like, the thing that I would put on when I got home from school, it was like, there was no mood that I was not ready to watch Dawn of the dead end.
2: In. My introduction was the aforementioned, <laughs> not the living dead 3d and, uh, and sex, it's not a Romero. Not film, huh? not. Um, I think, uh, well, what happened with, with me purchasing that movie was that uh, when I was living in, in Toronto, this was what? two thousand three, 2004. Um, I there's this uh, theater, or I don't know if it still exists, it would be called uh, Blur Cinema, and that would just play. It was like an independent movie that would just play old movies. Uh, and I remember that being announced, and then I saw the movie at a video store. So then I thought, well, it's in 3D, so it has to be better. Uh, and then it wasn't. It really, really, really wasn't. Uh, but then uh, that's what got me interested into actually looking up. Who the original creator was, and also with uh, with Dawn of the Dead, uh, because I I knew that it was a remake, so I was interested in just watching uh, what the original was. Now, um, something that I want to mention about uh, what Dawn said uh, regarding um, Dawn being the, maybe the biggest movie uh, or the most recognized movie that, that whenever you mention George Romero, um, do you think that's because of uh, the I don't know revival? I don't know if you can call it revival, a zombie revival that happened in the early 2000s when Dawn of the Dead came out. Um, Because I remember that uh, for the time, I think it made about $100 in the theater. And then after that, or I don't know if that's the one that started it, but then, you know, those 2000s that uh, craze for zombies that everyone was just making zombie movies. uh, Was that the one that started it all? Or or is there another one that was bigger than, than the remake of Dawn of the Dead?
1: I mean, I think that the thing that started the zombie revival was uh, 28 Days Later. And, like, like 28 Days Later was the thing that really got everybody going making zombie movies. Um, because, like, you know, zombie movies, like... The, "The 28 Days Later maybe was the thing that made it a genre, too. Like, as opposed to some cool movies. Because, right. like, Return of the Living Dead, Lucio Fulci's Zombie, Dawn of the Dead... You know, or like, Shockwaves with Peter Cushing with the Nazi zombies that choke people to death. Yeah. Like, or White Zombie with Bela Lugosi. Like, they all have zombies in them, but, like, they're very different movies. Like, even Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead are very different movies, you know? Like, right. the zombies look really different. You know, there's a different setup every time. Return of the Living Dead, even, like, the the rules are different for zombies. And, like, you know, because in the Return of the Living Dead series, obviously, you could, like, chop them up in their hands, still move around. They eat brains. They don't just eat people. Like, uh, you know, the the zombie was – zombie movies were, like, very plastic, uh, very changeable up until uh, 28 days later, I think, which is, like, even though that's one where it's, like, yeah, it invented its own rules, you know, the rage virus, like, it had that – virological angle like there's a lot of things about 28 days later that like make it kind of a new spin on on the 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 genre but for whatever reason that's when zombies started to be like a genre where there's like a certain set of rules you know it's like and that's all back from ramiro like everybody goes to dawn of the dead i think is like the platonic ideal of a zombie movie um right down to the fact that it's like you notice that it's like n- the Night of the Living Dead style social commentary where it's about like simmering racial tensions is not as prominent in stuff like, you know, Zombie Land or whatever than this sort of flippant uh, critique of consumer culture and shit, which I think is like that all comes out of Dawn of the Dead, right? Like Dawn of the Dead is the movie that for whatever reason – just like set everybody else like like it it inspired so many imitators you know like and so many references and so much like cultural activity that it kind of became the like the wellspring of the modern zombie whatever you know um much more so i would argue than night of the living dead which is more of a like even though night of the living dead sets up like the rules of the zombie genre and whatever i would say that like dawn of the dead with its expanded scope and like the post-apocalyptic bikers like that's kind of the ur text for pretty much every other uh you know especially like the 2000s like zombie revival kind of movies right i think they all go back to dawn of the dead yeah i mean and it's also like just my my favorite weird thing that came out of dawn of the dead um there is actually a japanese typing game like a typing tutor oh yes uh that is a it's not typing of the dead where it's house of the dead remade oh yeah okay it's a japanese learn english game where you just type the lines for the entirety of dawn of the dead over and over again in english like it's a it's my point is that like dawn of the dead is a movie that for whatever reason like it it's kicking in Italy, it's kicking in Japan. Obviously Quentin Tarantino loves it, or he wouldn't have like done ninety percent of the things he did in Dust Till Dawn. Um, you know, obviously the the, the Simpsons loves it, because uh, 'cause they've got that uh zombie episode of the of Treehouse of Horror, which I think is very Dawn of the Dead with a little return of the Living Dead mixed in. Um I also think that's why, you know, it's kind of become cultural shorthand that zombies eat brains because they ate brains on the Simpsons. Uh, really the only other time they eat brains is in Return of the Living Dead. But, uh, yeah, I think Dawn of the Dead, for whatever reason, and I don't know exactly what it is, but it just, like, crosses barriers and, and it entertains fucking everybody. And I think it's, you know, had a tremendous impact for that reason.
0: Uh, Hans, do you have a, a preference of the Dead Trilogy? Uh,
2: yeah, I guess Dawn. Uh, Night of the Living Dead uh, uh, I mean it, it looked great uh, compared to the 3D when I first watched it just because the 3D is such a pile of shit uh, but, but the, the story uh, the fact that it's bigger, the fact that the characters are more animated, the fact that it has more action in it uh, than uh, Night of the Living Dead uh, I feel like I, it, it would be more enjoyable to even watch now, uh, Dawn uh, just because it's a little bit more action packed and more things happen, and the, the fact that they're in a mall uh, helps add a lot of um, uh, aspects and, and things that the the other one doesn't have. Honestly, Day of the Dead, I don't remember it, uh, so I, I can't say that I that I I like that one because I just don't really remember anything about it. Uh, but um, Day of the Dead.
0: I Day of the Dead has always been my favorite I think just because of the the claustrophobia of it and the yeah. tension and the kind of ethical questions that are raised uh with the the scientist characters and also um you know how the how the military essentially has to uh deal with some like developments that are discovered that are uh you know kind of off the record or what have you um in that I think there's a lot of interesting things going on with that I and mean, it doesn't really get its due out of the dead trilogy it's it's usually i think generally speaking it's probably considered the the least favorable of those three
1: i mean yeah i i think that day of the dead doesn't get the recognition it deserves i actually it's my favorite at this point and i think as i get older i like day of the dead more and more um especially just the environment of these people like because For the first time in Day of the Dead, the characters are sort of like, you know, and this is another brilliant thing about the Dead trilogy, is you don't know where the zombies come from, right? Like, there's one line in Night of the Living Dead where they say a satellite crashed to Earth and it brought radiation. But that's as close as you ever get to an explanation. And so in Day of the Dead, the characters are military people and scientists that are in this bunker in Florida uh, trying to figure out how to bring the world back or how to stop it. And it's also it's it's clear that this has become like an academic project because everybody is dead. Everything is dead. They're the only living people that exist within the range of their radios, right? Like everything's everything died and they're still trying somehow to like hold on to the old world, to keep it alive, to figure something out. And the closest that they can get is bribing zombies with human flesh to, like, do tricks, basically. That's, like, what human civilization comes to in the end is, like, recreational cannibalism. And I think that in this time of COVID-19, we all should watch Day of the Dead, and we should all be prepared for where we're going.
0: <laughs> They're going to be homeless, though. That's a homeless. very optimistic, a very positive note to, to conclude uh, talking about Romero's Dead trilogy. I Now, the, the original slate for... Uh, this span of Romero's career that we were uh, going to discuss ends in 1981 with Night Riders, which
1: mm.
0: uh, to my knowledge, you guys haven't seen that. I watched it last night and I was uh, I can't say I was really, you know, psyched to be tuning into that because I was like, all right, it's a Renaissance fair drama comedy and it's two and a half hours long. And there came a point at like the hour and a half mark of that movie where I'm like, oh, so this must be almost over. It seemed like all the characters' arcs have, you know, fulfilled themselves. And then I I, I pull it up on the guide and it says uh, one hour and 27 minutes. So I still mm-hmm. had a good hour left to go. But um, Knight Riders I actually found to be maybe Romero's. It, I would say it's in contention for Mar- Romero's strongest film. I would have to let that sit and marinate for a while. It was a surprise for me. Uh, Ed Harris is great as the protagonist of that film. and it, It's kind of like the all-star edition of uh, all of Romero's 70s films. It's got like all the members of his Pennsylvania crew that pop up in Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and Martin and all these familiar faces round out the the gang of misfits that lead this renaissance fair. And um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of interesting questions that are raised typically, you know, that, that that's always the case with Romero about, uh, you know, the battle of ideas and um, whether or not you should allow that to potentially handicap yourself or to the point of, um, you know, death even, uh, whether or not the idea is, uh, you know, that valuable that it's worth a human life uh, dying for. And I, I highly recommend it to you guys if you enjoy Romero and especially if you know you, you Doug Martin I think uh, obviously this is a very tonally different film but it's closer to that than what I would imagine season of the witch and there's always vanilla to be uh, yeah at this point in his career he's definitely a mature filmmaker the next movie he goes on to make is Creepshow with Stephen King
1: oh, and um, that's an excellent movie I, yeah, I that's a I, I actually have seen Night Raiders but it was years and years ago and I remember having a really really positive experience of it um, is, it, is it available online right now?
0: Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Except Okay, excellent. Uh, unless you live in Costa Rica, in yep. which case you need NordVPN.
1: Okay. You get NordVPN, then you're okay?
0: Allegedly. That's what, what Hans at least believes. Um, Night Riders, 1981, yeah. So, um, I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about Creepshow briefly since we did a little bit on Day of the Dead, and we'll just close it oh. out there?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean... I love Creepshow. Uh, I, it's definitely like, because there, there's a lot of horror anthology movies, right? And I, I don't know what you guys' opinion is on, on them is, but like, I, I generally think that horror anthology movies are terrible. Um, I mean, Trilogy of Terror may be like, okay. Um, but like, Tales from the Dark Side, Necronomicon, even Creepshow too. Like, they're, they're, they're lousy pictures. Um, but, you get to Creep Show and like it's got that perfect fucking tone. I love all the visual like e c comics inspired uh effects and like borders like they'll actually put panel borders on the frame. They do that really like intense like almost jollo uh lighting uh on, like with certain like horror like you know money shots. Uh, I love the creatures, I love the cast I love Leslie fucking Nielsen is great yeah. in this movie. Oh yeah, um, it's it's to me it's one of those like you know when Halloween comes around I always watch Creepshow I watch Creepshow every October that and Reanimator which is like a whole different discussion Rest in peace Stuart Stuart Gordon I, th- I
0: do think that Creepshow is probably the one anthology where there's not a specific weak link I wouldn't go as far to say that most horror anthologies are are total piles of shit but it tends to be the case that there's maybe one or two really good ones. And then yeah. the rest are fair weather at best. Like the VHS series is uh, the most recent example of that VHS one and two. I won't even talk about the third one because that's all terrible. Um, but with VHS, the first film, there was maybe uh, one, one good one uh, that it concludes with, with VHS two, it's about 50, 50. And then if you go a little bit further back, like the only other one that uh, is maybe as well-rounded as Creepshow, show, but, is still uh, it doesn't have the sticking power that that does, or the memorability that Creepshow does. Is maybe John Carpenter's Body Bags, um, oh, which I've is never still seen that. It, it, it's fun. You know, there's only three of them in there, and John Carpenter directed two of them. Toby Hope Hooper uh, directed the last one, and I would say that they're all a good, solid seven out of ten. You know, whereas Creepshow, with some of these, you know, I think you're you're getting a ten out of ten. Like they're all yeah. fun, or or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. There, there, there's just there's a lasting power to the stories and the iconography of these shorts, where immediately you think a creep show, and these will come to mind.
1: I, well, I think one yeah. of the things that sets creep show apart is like to me the only other horror anthology that I've seen because I haven't seen Body Bags or VHS. Uh, and there's also, like, the Tales of Halloween is a new one that came out uh, a couple of years ago that I've mm. heard good things about, but it, I haven't seen. Trick or Treat. Um, Trick or Treat, yeah. Uh, also haven't seen, sadly. Uh, but it's Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black, which is, like, in, in my mind, it's actually got a better pedigree than Creepshow to a degree, not the, on the director's side, but because they're all based on short stories by Richard Matheson, who's uh. – in my mind, like a much better writer than Stephen King. Um, but trilogy of terror, it's like, and, and they all have Karen black, which is kind of interesting that there's like the same person playing different roles in all of them. But like, I remember the Zuni fetish doll and I don't remember a goddamn other thing that, that happens like the, the range in most horror anthologies, as I'd say, like every once in a while, you'll get an eight out of 10 and then the rest of it, like, Kind of goes lower than that and i think that the problem is that generally like the different sections of the anthology like trilogy of terror has this problem they're all shot the same they all kind of look the same they all kind of feel the same so even though you're getting different setups and different monsters and whatever it all feels you know samey whereas creep show every segment is very distinct from every other segment right and the cast is totally different the setup is totally different uh stephen king gives the best performance in the yeah. movie weirdly <laughs> yeah. uh he's fucking amazing in that movie and uh yeah it's it's you were saying like you know the sometimes you're dealing with 10 out of 10s i'd say the lowest that creep show ever goes is like 8 out of 10 with the bug sequence maybe um but they're all it's all killer no filler in that movie and then creep show 2 is such a piece of shit like when <laughs> it's the kids on the on the fucking raft, stick it a like. You you know what I'm talking about? That segment. That's of the Show only two?
0: memorable segment from that movie too, and oh it's still God. just okay. It that as far as horror goes, that one's okay. I I can't remember the three or four other segments of Creepshow 2.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's that's the best that you got is like the monster is like a bunch of trash bags in a swamp. That's the best thing that they have gone. Meanwhile, Creepshow one, you got the birthday cake head. You got the waterlogged ted danson zombie you got the thing in the crate oh man the thing in the crate what a fucking great monster
2: well i think the the biggest difference with Crypto show and and most of these other anthology movies is that they had fun with it they just decided to make mm. something mm-hmm. fun they cast people like ted danson and and leslie nielsen uh who you wouldn't put into something that it's to be taken serious i guess so the fact that they just had fun with it and everything is so creative and different from each other that it works better than something that is going to present something silly and trying to take it seriously. Uh, with this one, it actually feels like you know, like a, like a variety show or like a show where, where you get to see a lot of very different things that all work uh, by themselves. Uh, and I feel like uh, having a, a very varied cast like that with people that you wouldn't expect to have in a movie like this uh, helps a lot.
0: Yeah, it, yeah there is that level of talent there but as far as them having fun with it i think it might have something to do with the marketing as well right because i i wouldn't say that there are other anthologies where they weren't having fun with it um but i think it's all about how it's channeled and also how it's it's handled in the story right so with vhs 2 for example there's a there's a segment that uh has a documentarian uh going out and exploring this i think it's a malaysian death cult, right? And uh, the whole VHS series is marketed as like this really dark, really creepy uh, uh, found footage series, right? And the conclusion of that death cult found footage ends with like a giant goat monster flying around and chasing after people, and it looks terrible and ridiculous. And they're clearly going over the top with it uh, on purpose, and there are other segments that are like that. But that's not, you know, what you were sold up front. With Creepshow, you know you're in for that 1950s EC comic style of, uh, you know, horror that, that's going to be lined up for you.
1: Yeah, and they do such a good job. Like, there are movies that are literally based on Tales from the Crypt that do not nail the tone as well as Creepshow does. It's just a it's a really well done movie.
0: Totally agree. Uh so that is uh that that's George Romero's career 1968 to 1983 I believe. Uh we've covered a good like half of his career and I'll I'll say uh not to disrespect the man, but it's essentially downhill from there.
1: Yeah, sadly, sadly this is true. Um but you know, the guy the guy changed world cinema at least once. Uh he made some good pictures. And uh, sadly, he's no longer with us. Uh, I got an opportunity to meet George Romero uh, at a screening that the Alamo Draft House, uh was doing down here several years ago. That's where I got my, my uh, copy of uh, Dawn of the Dead signed. And at the time, I was making movies. I was a young punk kid. You know, I was in high school. And uh, he gave me his home address so I could send him a copy of my uh, zombie movie, Passion of the Christ 2, Night of the Living Christ. Uh, he... He was very nice about it. He was a very, very uh, generous man. And, uh, you know, the Land of the Dead is not bad. And even if you're going to have a downward swing, he made some fucking great movies on the way, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Land of the Dead is definitely one that needs uh, revisiting, if anybody has been kind of lukewarm on that. And I find uh, the projects that he didn't wind up making but was slated to... For a while to be uh, v- very interesting i had made a video a while back about his resident evil film when he was contracted to do that movie i remember mm. finding the script to that in the early aughts and reading that uh several times it would have been so much better than what wound up happening with that horrible horrible franchise
1: yeah um, how did that have so much longevity it, it makes no sense to me
0: well it's that world war z factor it's just the, yeah. the spectacle of it um I mean, I'll I'll say that the first Resident Evil movie is okay. Are you um, telling me not Resident Evil?
2: You're not into crow zombies.
0: Not into what zombies? Crow zombies. Crow.
2: Crow. Is it crow? Yeah, crow. (laughs) You know the crow, crow, you
0: foreigner. (laughs) The
2: crows that are zombies all of a sudden eating people. I think they did that on the last one or one of the last ones. It's just
0: well, that that was in the game, too. I, I love the games, uh, f- for PlayStation, so I was really disappointed with that first one. I think George Romero's version would have been uh, much more accurate. He did direct the Japanese commercial for Resident Evil 2 with Brad Renfro and some actress who also is, I think, well known, uh, back in 1998 or so. That's about the closest things ever came. Uh, he was also contracted to do a film version of Stephen King's The Stand back in the 1980s.
1: Oh, and, that would have been amazing.
0: Uh, that that would have been really interesting to see, I think. And then uh, on the on the Dead series note, there was actually supposed to be a seventh Dead film that he wasn't going to direct. At that point, I think his health was uh, had declined too much and he wouldn't have been able to uh, carry that. But I guess he had written... Something and it was going to be directed by a collaborator of his, but there has been nothing uh, as, as far as updates go on that since Survival of the Dead came out uh probably ten years ago.
1: Now this might be a weird thing to say with a zombie property, but I I hope that people just let it stay dead, like <laughs> just leave the man alone. <laughs> like we don't we don't need any more we don't need any more Joe Russo's pillaging his corpse. <laughs> but you know, yeah. well, what's we'll, we'll see what happens. What's the
2: last decent zombie like movie come out
0: that's a good question um hmm
1: there was a japanese flick that came out last year that uh i've heard good things about but i i mean i don't know if i i just speaking for myself like the zombie idea has been so thoroughly polluted by this shitty fucking renaissance quote unquote that like i see zombie or of the dead in the title of a movie i i turn around i look the other way i move quickly i don't i don't i don't focus on it you know is it uh yeah.
2: i one cut i of think
1: it, the it,
0: most oh sorry Go on. Oh, so, oh yeah no,
1: one one cut of the dead that's the one that i i heard of yeah
0: i've heard good things about that yeah. as well i haven't seen it yet um but i, I to my knowledge, the last zombie film or property that really wowed me in any way was probably the the spanish wreck series uh but i mean you could even make the argument that those aren't really zombies they're possessed people or or they have rabies or something
1: i think it's it's a zombie movie if it's about like the horror of big crowds of people that are all like stupid yeah you know so you know that's uh that's, uh, that's why, in a way, all of these blockbuster movies are zombie movies.
0: Don, Jolly, thank you for, for coming back on the show. Uh, where can people find your work?
1: Yeah, um, so if you're not aware, I am the editor-in-chief of Encyclopedia.Zone, which is the Internet's premier home for literary shitposting. We got a new uh, issue just out uh, called The Quarantine Fun Zone, featuring comics, shitposts, and short stories uh, and poems. Uh, all about the COVID-19 epidemic or about anything other than the COVID-19 epidemic. And I, I don't know when this is con- c- going to come out, but we got a new issue coming up in May uh, as well. So you can check that out at encyclopedia.zone or watch me on YouTube at com slash Don Jolly. Thank you so much for having me once again. It's always, Absolutely. always a pleasure.
0: It was a great chat, and uh, that's been the show for this week. Hans, you have, you have a Twitter memorial, so... People go to Hans Memorial on Twitter. I do follow Hans. Yeah. Yes. Don't follow that.
2: Oh, and one thing, <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention before we close this zombie thing. Uh, did you guys ever hear about town of the living dead town no. of the living dead? Okay. So town of the living dead, it's its actually pretty far. Or it was funny when it came out. I don't, I don't know if it holds up. It's from 2014. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's like a fake reality show of this Alabama town uh, and this group of independent filmmakers that are trying to make a zombie movie that's taken them 6 years and I'm not I don't remember exactly if it's uh oh well it's, it's unscripted okay so it's unscripted but it it's very charming because it's just a bunch of rednecks trying to make a zombie movie and they have no idea how to make it and in each episode it's just them trying to figure out how to do something decent, and it just looks like shit. So if you guys want to have a laugh and just watch something that's zombie-related, that's not serious at all, Town of the Living Dead is something that I would recommend when it came out in 2014, so don't hold me uh, to that because I haven't seen it since then. But I remember enjoying it a lot, so uh, check that one out.